This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Now, when uh, I was over in Adelaide last year uh, at a conference, um, some uh, research was announced talking about the value of... uh, participating in theatre and drama uh, for young people. A couple of months later, uh, earlier this month, in fact, the formal announcement of those details was released to the media. And uh, joining us on the line to tell us a little bit more is Fraser Caulfield, who's the Artistic Director of Australian Theatre for Young People, who commissioned the research. Fraser, uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. So... I'm particularly excited by this research because, as I mentioned earlier in the program, uh, everybody who is involved in the arts in some way has seen firsthand evidence of the the positive benefits for young people and people generally of participating in the arts. But the research that you've commissioned uh, kind of seems to put those kind of the the airy-fairy, hard-to-pin-down outcomes into real, solid, practical kind of facts that government presumably and hopefully can't ignore yeah it's been um, a fascinating 12 months we one of the things that that we were experiencing over the last few years and having conversations with government with all the changes to arts funding was that when we talked about you know the importance of what we do they'd say well really how do you demonstrate that and most of the, dem- the most of the evidence that we have is kind of anecdotal it's feedback that we receive from from people saying you know this was a really important part of my life or this experience has changed me in this way but it's never been collated um in any significant form most of the research that we could find that had been done into the impact of arts experiences on on young people or people in general focuses on a specific project so it tends to focus on a small number of people whereas pattern makers were able to to do some detailed research on 1200 current and past participants of youth arts activities and the of the range of findings, uh, the fact that uh, 83% of people said that being involved with uh, the theatre was a source of inspiration and motivation in their lives, that's a nice feel-good stat. But then the fact that 74% said it helped them develop resilience and cope with challenges in life is really important given the focus on mental health and well-being that we have in culture at the moment. And 59% said uh, it assisted being involved in theatre assisted in decreasing anxiety. That's, a, for me, a really interesting statistic. Yeah, and, th- and that's one of the things that has really made this study so significant. So what we did was rather than kind of look very broadly at why doing theatre is a good thing, we really kind of narrowed in on the fact that we've we've got a looming mental health crisis, not just in this country, but in most of the developed world, the UK, Japan are all the same. Our biggest killer of young people aged between 9 and 19 is suicide. One in four young people could be diagnosed as having a mental illness. One in seven can be diagnosed with anxiety by the time they're 16. And one of the significant things about that, as you point out, is that anxiety is recognised very much as a gate way mental illness it's a mental illness it's that you will you know develop that then has the potential for you to go on and develop other mental illnesses so we were really looking at going well what does it do we always say that participating in drama builds your self-confidence builds your sense of connection and community but how does that realistically impact on the young people's mental health and so that was the kind of the framework for these statistics and i have to admit none of us expected for the outcomes to be as positive as they were 
one of the things that has been really fascinating to watch is partially the the, the theatre sector uh, generally and the youth theatre sector in particular saying we knew this but it's so good to have it kind of documented and in factual terms but so obviously the sector has responded really positively to the news that for example 94 percent of youth involved in youth theater um that's had a positive impact on their their overall well-being what's the response from government been like it's only early days yet because the formal report was only released uh, at the start of this month but has there already been any response from government we're finding that it's become something that we're able to coordinate uh, meetings and have formal discussions about. It's, it's, it, we are finding, and I have to confess that I've just, you know, this morning got off to some emails lining up some meetings with, with politicians to discuss this. But what we've found is previously when we uh, we wanted to, talk, you know, talk to you about youth arts and its importance and the fact that it's, it's you know, having experiencing a very difficult time nationally, there was nothing that would open the door. There was no particular reason for them to talk to us. Whereas we're finding that because this addresses something that is a very significant social concern in this country, it's opening conversations in a way that we haven't been able to previously. I've also got to say, it's so nice to be able to talk about something around the art that's not uh, using, I don't know, economic drivers as an indicator of the value of the art, but something that is that is coming back to a fundamental human experience, emotional experience, and making people stronger and more resilient at a time when resilience is really of the utmost importance to young people. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the, the other thing that I love about it is that that it's not these weren't programs that were set up to address young people's mental health um because of the scale of this assessment and the, and the people that were interviewed participated over a kind of a 35 year period so you know they were engaging with hundreds of uh of different professional artists who are facilitating work with young people and all sorts of programs from kind of workshop programs and performances and events so it's not it's not that saying that you know we can divide art based mental health therapy it's about saying just participating in drama because it's a good thing to do has these side effects which are actually extraordinarily beneficial to young people's development so if there are any parents listening with young people uh get them involved in a youth theater companies seems to be one of the messages coming out of this yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there are a whole range of... Because there's quite a lot of academic research that's been done on the impact of participation in the arts and performing arts on education and learning and the benefits of that hold. But one of the things that this demonstrates is, look, just as part of a, a healthy wellbeing and healthy upbringing, it's good to have some involvement and some participation in the performing arts. If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking to Fraser Caulfield, the Artistic Director of Australian Theatre for Young People, the National Youth Theatre Company based up in Sydney. Uh, If uh, you've not seen their work before, you can catch a touring production later in the year, A Town Named Warboy, which is coming to Victoria in April, playing uh, in Portland, Warrnambool, Bendigo and Geelong. But Fraser, if uh, people listening want to get hold of the research that ATYP commissioned, uh, which is kind of uh, in which all these statistics and data is contained, how easily can they get a copy of that report? Uh, um, they're very welcome to just contact us and you can just can Google ATYP and um, with our contact details. Or indeed there's a uh, network. The youth art sector is is in constant kind of contact with each other. So if you co- talk to one of the local companies and they're those fabulous companies in, in Melbourne, like St Martin's or Western Edge, um, they uh, 
then if you do have a chat to, to your local youth theatre, um, they should be able to... If they don't have a copy of the report on file, um, they can, they'll be able to either put you in touch with us or get in touch with us and get it to you. Fantastic. Uh, and as I said, if you want to check out what ATYP are doing in terms of touring and uh, live streaming of shows and much more, jump online, www.atyp.com.au. That's Australian Theatre for Young People. We've been talking with Fraser Caulfield there, Artistic Director. Fraser, thanks so much for joining us on Triple R this morning. Thanks for having me, Richard. Heather Kroll is the director and CEO of Adelaide Fringe, the second largest fringe festival in the world. And uh, uh, I've been handed a copy of the program and it feels all, not quite the weight of a uh, kind of an old phone book, but uh, pretty hefty. Uh, Heather, welcome to Melbourne. Welcome to Triple R. How many shows are in the Adelaide Fringe this year? We have uh, about 1,200 shows in the Adelaide Fringe this year and that's uh, spread over about 500 venues. So it is a true takeover. It takes over the entire town. If you are planning any trip to Adelaide at any time, I'd say that is the best time to go. The city is unrecognisable for the month of Fringe. You feel like you've walked into... Uh, Burning Man meets Glastonbury meets Edinburgh Fringe all in the centre and the, the, it's another world. It's like walking into a festival wonderland. The the, the parklands are taken over with venues and we ideally we have great weather usually um, and so it's a lot of late nights under the stars and under the gum trees after you've seen shows and there's a, you know, it's a real wonderland of a festival experience. One of the things that I love about um, Adelaide Fringe as as an entity is the the fact that it began as an act of rebellion against yes. kind of the Adelaide Festival and local artists going well we have we're not part of it let's yeah. let's kind of create our own fringe and it's out it's it now would it be fair to say it overshadows the the Adelaide Festival? Well, I mean it's it yeah I mean it used to be a lot smaller than the Adelaide Festival and there's no way now that we can say the fringe is smaller. I mean, it's a very similar um, expansion to what's happened in the Edinburgh Fringe and Festival model. So the Edinburgh Fringe kind of eclipses the festival in terms of the size of audience and ticket sales. It doesn't mean that the festival is any more you know, less fabulous than it's always been and this, the program's brilliant, full of awesome shows and we work well together, the Fringe and Festival. I think um, audiences often come up to me and say, oh, I just saw such and such and I say, oh, that's actually in the festival. But, <laughs> like, you know, they, they don't really... The fact really, that you can have that interplay, yeah. yeah. No, you don't really feel like you're just moving between the two and then you might go to WOMAD, which is on at the same time, and then come out um and so the this the sort of um the scale of the fringe well it's undoubtedly exploded i mean last year we sold 650,000 tickets which is i mean a festival that sells 50,000 tickets is a great success and so the fact that we're selling 650,000 tickets is is quite phenomenal and as big as you know a whole home game season of any AFL team and and for um an arts festival to sell that many tickets is just brilliant we're the biggest um ticket selling arts festival in the country um and people do come from all over the world for Adelaide Fringe so if you've been to Edinburgh Fringe, um, it's it's really not dissimilar. We have a lot less range. There's a lot less rain. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
it does sometimes concern me that arts organisations focus so much on metrics around uh, box office, ticket yeah. sales, audience numbers. How do you measure the artistic success of the festival and the creative success yeah. of Adelaide Fringe? Well, Adelaide Fringe is open access, so anybody can register in the in the Fringe. And the Fringe is a fabulous springboard for any artist at any stage of their career. We have people doing their first ever show there right up to people that return year on year and then try out some new work. Um, we run um, a huge artist services department that supports artists. I mean, that's uh, a huge... Mo- the major focus for us is about making sure that artists have a great experience at the Adelaide Fringe. And we've built um, an entire sort of... Uh, behind-the-scenes department for them. We run a thing called the Honey Pot, which is where we invite programmers of festivals and um, venues and all sorts of um, events around the world who come to Adelaide. Around about 200 of them are descending on Adelaide this year and they come to the Fringe specifically to see shows discover new talent find some new shows that they could program so that's a that's like um giving the artist not only the opportunity to sell tickets to the public sort of in the box office arena but we're also trying to help them create um, opportunities and make their lives a bit more sustainable as an artist going forward in the in bookings for the next couple of years i mean the the true spirit of the adelaide fringe and as you say it started out as an act of rebellion against the curatorial sort of powers of the LFS. Well, if we're not going to be selected we're going to put on our own show that is alive and well in the adelaide fringe still to this day and we um our purpose is to help artists um, who are who are making that statement of like we're going to take the risk and put on our own show. We the reason we exist is to help them maximise that opportunity. So we have tiny little venues down alleyways and in basements and um, up on the third floor, or you know, or we may, or again, we have the big outdoor uh, hubs uh, that take over the Adelaide parklands, but. When when we say we sell six hundred thousand tickets, it's um, if you think about the way that breaks down, probably in the big three hubs, outdoor hubs, that's about fifty percent of our tickets. The rest of them, which is still you know hundreds of thousands of tickets, are being sold in the small venues, in the pubs, the clubs, the little pop up sort of uh, venues that people curate. We've got. Um, a little place called Rajopolis this year and that's um, that's a great little uh, venue that's got lots of um, drag shows and all sorts of other fabulous shows in it but it's just a an you know truly independent uh, venue that you will you'll be you know surprised and delighted there but you don't have to go in the big, more commercial end of the fringe. You can still find the most strong, you know, independent spirit alive and well. Now, one of the things that happens with fringe festivals every year is you can see uh, a kind of upswelling of particular passions or ideas or themes mm. year to year. Kind of one year, cabaret will suddenly make a resurgence. Yeah. Uh, a year or two later, there'll be a, a sudden revival of spoken word performance. I know this year there's a kind of there's been a, a growth in kind of work for children and families. 
Yeah, we've seen, and as I said, because we're open access, we just wait. The registrations come in and we think, what, who's registering this year? And what's the trend going to be what's happening? Yeah, and massive jump in kids' programming in the Fringe this year. Um, we've also seen huge numbers of fabulous women registering shows. We um, there's, a, there's a group in Adelaide called Chooks SA and Chooks SA is all about um, uh, battling for gender equality in, in all sorts of areas. They particularly have an interest in the entrepreneurship sort of women. So they're really interested in the entrepreneurial spirit of female artists in the Fringe. And they actually came in and sat down with us and they created their own little guide of all the great women in the Fringe. And it was phenomenal, the size of this uh, guide that they were creating. And so, um, you know, you see things coming in and out. I mean, theatre, the last two years in Adelaide Fringe, theatre has exploded um, comedy's always been big, but um, we've really seen a growth in, in theatre and there's a wonderful venue just outside of the city called Holden Street Theatres and that's a, a, a stunning program of theatre shows down and at Holden Street. a lot of work from, like, the highlights of Edinburgh, hand-picked yeah, and programmed there, right. for example. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Now, um, in a piece I wrote... Alongside f- locals as well. Yeah. yeah, in a piece I wrote for Arts Hub earlier in the year, I was doing a, the kind of overview of what's coming up in the year in the performing arts, what to see. I mentioned Adelaide Fringe as being one of the highlights and I was like, look, the program is so huge, just start with a cabaret show. Start with maybe a cabaret show with someone you know and they'll recommend somebody you don't know. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like a, a game of Chinese whispers that leads you on an art adventure is, is yeah. one way to, to describe Word it, of the mouth Fringe. is huge. Yeah. yeah, Word of mouth is huge. And we were also, we launched this um, game called Goose Chase, which encourages, it's a, it's a treasure hunt on your smartphone and it encourages you to explore every nook and cranny of the Fringe. We have 500 missions on the Goose Chase and it encourages you to go and see shows all over the place, take your photo with the artist, upload it to the game. You get special points for creative photography and the the competitive nature that it brings out in people is really good fun and you can win a trip for two to Edinburgh Fringe if you play the Goose Chase. But without realising it, it it drives you to all sorts of weird and wonderful little venues of the Adelaide Fringe that you may not have explored had you not been playing the Goose Chase. Now, if you want more information about Adelaide Fringe, which is running this year from the 16th of February until the 18th of March, you can jump online, www.adelaidefringe.com.au. You can also pick up a copy of the guide. Um, Heather, in terms of advice for people, Melbournians who are thinking, oh, a weekend at the Adelaide Fringe yeah. sounds great, um, but what show to see first? Should they just open the guide, close their eyes, open the guide at random point to a show <laughs> and book to go and see it? That's a, that's a good way. We've been working really hard as well in the last two years on building much better search functions online. And so if you get on your mobile or on a computer on a website, you'll see lots and lots of new filters that we've built this year. Um, you can add search filters in, you can cut out. So if you're only, if you're thinking of a certain date, you can put only those date range and then if you only want to go to a certain part of town or a certain area you can just put that in a certain time of night and it will filter out all the other hundreds of shows that um, you ha- you used to have to scroll through. So, And we've, we've also got things like I want to have a, I want to laugh out loud or I want to be, you know I want some brain food or we've got some little search themes like that as well that can help you discover 
you know, the sort of show you're looking for. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just, you know, <laughs> throwing a dart at the program and go see that. And, you know, sometimes they're the best shows. The the, the unexpected discoveries, the, the strange gems and the, the creative risks that both artists take and audiences take. Uh, yeah. Certainly one of the reasons why I love fringe festivals and festivals of experimental art and underground art and more. So uh, there's all that in Fringe. If you want to go and see a mainstream comedian you've seen on TV, you can go and see them. They will then recommend a couple of other upcoming younger comedians that you should go and check out. Mm. Or you can just dive in and take risks, which is uh, certainly what I would recommend doing. Adelaide Fringe, as we said, on from the 16th of February until the 18th of March. Heather, uh, just as a final question, there's been a, a big push on for Fringe to grow. It's tourist audience, it's interstate and international tourist audience. Um, how successful has that been to date? It's been really successful the last probably, I'd say the last two years. We've seen some really great numbers coming into Adelaide for the Fringe. The um, There's always been people that came to the Fringe, but I think just the, the, the sheer number of them has really grown. We, we need... Um, more we need more and more tourists because we have so many fabulous artists registering. And last year, you know, we uh, had around about 100,000 tickets bought by tourists, which is wonderful, but uh, that's really around about 18% of our tickets. And what we've seen with Edinburgh is that um, Edinburgh is up at around 40 50% of their ticket sales are from tourists and if we can get to that sort of level it just means that the artists have more bums in seats in more shows and again it's just all about we just want to have as many full houses as we can and you pointed out correctly that you know it is the artists taking the risk the artists and the venues are taking the risk so the the tickets they sell that's how they earn their money so we're just doing everything to try and drive more and more people to Adelaide during the fringe so that they can experience this it is you really just cannot describe it. Until you get there, it's not like any other festival in the country. Adelaide Fringe on from the 16th of February to the 18th of March. More info, as we said, at www.adelaidefringe.com.au. Heather, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Currently performing at Gasworks Arts Park in the Gasworks Theatre as part of Midsummer Festival is uh, a work called uh, De Profundis. Uh, it is a, a staging of an enormous and deeply profound letter from Oscar Wilde written um, from uh, Reading Jail uh, between January and March of 1897. Uh, When it was first published, it wasn't actually known that it was a letter to his lover, Lord Alfred Douglas, a.k.a. Bosey. Bosey himself didn't know that it was uh, about and uh, to him at not at least initially, I'm led to believe. But uh, joining us in the studio is Brian Lucas, who is uh, performing uh, De Profundis. Brian, welcome to Triple R. Good morning. Now, what was it about um, Wild in in general and this letter, this enormous letter uh, in particular that made you think this is a work for the stage? Because it's, in some ways, it's not a, a dramatic Kind of Not at all. It's so different from any of Wilde's other works. It was never intended to be a public document, um, let alone a performance piece. So while the language is beautifully theatrical, 
it wasn't ever written, I think, consciously with that in mind. I think it would be difficult for Wilde to have written anything that wasn't performable, but this one certainly wasn't intended to be that way. Uh, it was actually the director, David Fenton, who brought the work to me. He'd begun, he'd, he'd read it a number of years before and, and really sort of struck on the idea that he'd love to, to look at translating it or, or uh, converting it into a performance work. And we'd worked together quite a few times and he came to me with this idea. And there was just something about the character of Wild, uh, the person or persona of Wild, and also the fact that this wasn't a performance text that really appealed to me. You know, it's a, I love a challenge, you know, <laughs> I love a good challenge. So we couldn't say no. And because we were, you know, we had a number of great opportunities to actually do initial exploration on the piece and to do some creative development to see whether it was going to work. And we really realised quite early on that there was, there was fruit there. You know, it was worth pursuing. Now, it was fascinating to, to watch the piece earlier in the week uh, because, as I said, it's not a play, so it doesn't have a, a dramatic through line. It doesn't no. kind of build tension or drama in the way that a work would. It's almost anti-dramatic in some ways, but at the same time, it's hearing Wilde's words. It's perhaps the most, I mean, the, the one of the, I'm trying to think, trying to paraphrase the Wilde line about kind of uh, give a man a mask and he'll show you his true face. Yes. Um, but... Yeah. It, there's a real sense that here the mask has been stripped away and yet we are seeing the or hearing the words of Oscar Wilde more truthfully perhaps than he's ever written before in his life. I think he's desperately trying to be honest. You know, he, he was rebelling against the artifice that he had created around himself and that other people imposed on him. So I think he was really trying as hard as he could to be genuine and real and to be... Uh, articulate about his own experiences and his own emotions and that's part of the appeal of it you know he's certainly not a perfect person but the attempt that you know he's a he's a, a character in process trying to find himself and that's that's really fascinating to perform but also just to consider now, you and David, your director, I believe you, you adapted the letter together, is that right? You, That's right. Yeah. Um, David had done quite a bit of editing on the work already, but it was really on the floor that the piece edited it itself. And that was um, not only through the language, although that was obviously the, the core of it, but also through the staging, trying to actually find the physicality of the text and that helped edit it. Um, it the image that, that always sprung to mind, it was like one of those sort of 1990s, 2000 sort of police procedurals where they have an enormous board in, in the, the detective's office with all of the different photographs and a map and strings connecting everything, you know, this enormously complex web of resonances and interconnections and um, imagery that kept coming back and sometimes contradicting itself. So it was really a bit of a puzzle work in a way. Mm. Watching it, I was, I mean, because one of the things that's fascinating to see about the performance is which part 
parts of the text you've used in which you haven't. Yes. Uh, and then a really lovely use of sound design and video projection and yep. so on to to give uh, depth to the words that you're performing on stage. Yeah. But it also struck me as fascinating that the elements you've kept to those where Wilde is talking about the value of art, the importance of art, rather than, for example, lines like um, uh, the the accusatory elements of the letter when he says to Bosey, you scented the chance of a public scandal and flew to it, the prospect of a battle in which you would be safe delighted you. So why yeah, yeah. you've why keep Bosey out of it? Well, I think it's it's partly about getting rid of the sort of blame elements. They're still there, but it's much more about his future and his hopes and, as he said, his need to reassert himself as an artist. And quite a bit of the the text that we left out is uh, the sort of major sections that are judgmental about other people. We chose to have him be judgmental about himself. Um, it's an enormous work and it, it does ramble quite a bit. That's, that's the other interesting thing about it. So, as you said, it doesn't have a, a theatrical structure to it and we had to try and find that within the work and that theme of rediscovering a future out of a hopelessness uh, and the role that art plays in that and the, the importance of um, the artist and their confidence in their own... Uh, not abilities, but their own persona, that what they are doing is right, no matter how wrong the world tells them that they are for doing it. One of the things that has always fascinated me about Oscar Wilde ever since I kind of I would have encountered Wilde as a kind of as a young closeted teenager mm. living in the country, the notion of uh, a man who was so ahead of his time in terms of being kind of this media figure, this public figure, um, a, a kind of a man who embodied art. Rather, he didn't just yeah. make art; he he embodied um, uh, aesthetic pursuits. Whether he's uh, at university or kind yeah. of as a, a kind of as a kind of self consciously almost satirical, uh, uh, satirizing himself as an aesthete, and those later kind of richly kind of uh, beautiful works. Like, uh, I mean, the plays, uh, the satires are wonderful oh, and, and so cutting as yes. well. Yeah, but, yeah. but then also the notion of like his one and only novel um, in which the central notion of a painting ageing as the, the, the man whose portrait is does not is it's this kind of electric idea which is, is, is just you just look at that and think that to create just that one idea and image alone is a work of genius absolutely and it absolutely. has endured across time but so much else of his work but and also as he said um that his flaw was that um what uh, I'm trying to remember the line about kind of about him and genius, and uh, it, it's escaping. Well, me he at the becomes. Moment. He talks about himself as the spendthrift of his own genius, you know. And to waste an eternal youth gave me a, an endless joy. Um, it's really, it's really fascinating because most people have a, an immediate and often, I won't say shallow, but it's a, a limited connection to wild. They know those plays. They know him as a fop, a dandy, they know, a wit. And, you know, and they know him as a playwright and a wit. But when you look at his history, he actually spent most of his early years, once he'd graduated, creating an image for himself 
as an aesthete, um, you know, as as a dandy, as a, a man of style. Um, and he did this enormous speaking tour through North America on the basis of fashion and interior design and cultural ways and, you know, how to, how to be cultured. So he'd built this image for himself that he gradually lived into uh, and, and from, from that sort of aesthete image became the artist and then made the art. You know, so he really, it, it has... It's like um, he's mapped out his creative life well, and then come to inhabit it. Yes, he built this image for himself. You know, you could really look at it um, in terms of social media or reality television today where people create this image and then use that image to go on and do what they want to do. You know, so there's this enormous sort of background to the point where, uh, leading up to the point where he started writing these plays that he be- became renowned for. And I've found the line that I wanted. It's, uh, I put all my genius into my life. Uh, I put only my talent into my works. Yes. Yes. Um, If you've just tuned in, my guest is Brian Lucas, and we're talking about uh, Oscar Wilde's De Profundis, which he's performing as part of the Midsummer Festival at Gasworks Theatre at Gasworks Arts Park, and I'll give the booking details shortly. Um, You developed this up in Brisbane. uh, That's right. uh, At Metro Arts? Metro Arts, yeah. Yeah. Metro Arts have been incredibly supportive of the work, um, giving us time to develop it and the resources to do develop it and it's certainly not a work that could have happened quickly you know we we worked on it for a number of years before we did the initial season in 2015 and we've had again the opportunity to revisit it before this this most recent season um Metro Arts has been terrifically supportive, as they are of all independent work in Brisbane. Um, How vibrant, how strong is the Brisbane independent sector at the moment? Because it seems from my observations of Brisbane and my conversations with Brisbane artists that Brisbane is always going through cycles of building up to a point where it's about to explode and then people move to Melbourne and that ebbs away and then it builds again. Yeah, um, exactly that you know there are cycles it comes and goes it's enormously difficult up there at the moment as it is i think everywhere it's getting harder and harder to actually um create independent work it's becoming more necessary to sort of link in with the mainstream which is not necessarily a bad thing but um you know, everyone's working really hard. There's still fantastic work happening up there and fantastic people working there. And luckily that whole sort of need to move away isn't as overriding. You know, it's great. People go away to do projects but then come back. Um, I, I wish it was better. I wish there was more work happening. Um, but certainly, you know, organisations like Metro Arts are really doing what they can to foster that grassroots level work. Now, uh, the you mentioned that this uh, work, Oscar Wilde's De Profundis, uh, premiered um, in 2015, a review that I, uh, I uh, found. Lucas embodies with simplicity and integrity the complexity and the intellectual rigour uh, of Wilde um, and uh, uh, describes it as a bold and beautiful theatrical venture, introducing a little-known, barely recognisable side of Oscar Wilde to the wider public in all his brilliant fallibility. Um, so uh, it was a very positive review. Congratulations yes, on that. we were very lucky. I hope yeah. the uh, the Melbourne season is as well received and Thank as well you. reviewed. I certainly, as I as I uh, mentioned on Facebook to friends and as I felt afterwards, uh, it brought me closer to Wild. There's a real sense yeah. of um, 
kind of, I, you can see the plays and laugh at the wit, but kind of seeing and hearing from Oscar at his most abject yeah. uh, when he has been pilloried and mocked and humiliated, but the the fire of art and the belief in the value of art Absolutely. and his own value still burns within him. Absolutely. One thing we were really clear on when we set out to do this work was that it was not going to be an impersonation of Wilde, or at least not an impersonation of the Wilde that we've come to recognise as sort of Stephen Fry or the, you know, the, the photographs that we see. And I think that distance, the fact that Wilde is there but he's not running the show is a really important one and it allows people to actually hear his words and to listen to his ideas without being caught up in the public persona of Oscar Wilde. So that distance, I think, is really important. Mm, I agree. The production De Profundis is on at Gasworks as part of the Midsummer Festival. Uh, the season finishes this Saturday, so you can get along at 7.30 tonight, Friday night and Saturday at Gasworks Arts Park, 21 Graham Street, Albert Park. Tickets range from uh, $30 concession, 35 full or 28 if you book as a group of six or more, and you can book at www.gasworks.org.au. You can also find out more info at the Midsummer Festival website, midsummer.org.au. You. Brian Lucas, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.